We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me wanna. I was looking for signs of growth and maturity in Josh Allen as compared to last year in the postseason where he was a little reckless. And you know that that the touchdown pass that was the designed run that went nowhere, and he just decided, oh, what the hell, I'm going to throw it to Dawson Knox. Last year, that gets picked off, right? right. Last year, something right. crazy happens right. there. But this year, it works. That's the difference from Josh Allen of 2019 to Josh Allen of 2020. There's a different vibe. There's a different aura. There's a different sense and confidence in Josh Allen this no year. Doubt. And no that, doubt. to me, is the one play that resonates, the difference between last year and this year. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer Chris Krueger, and that was Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk discussing the change in Josh Allen from 2019 to 2020. Woo! Yeah! We won, baby! Victors! Playoff victory! Chris, we're winners. Because they're winners. Winners get to do what they want. You know what I want to do? I want to run a lap around your house, spraying beer like Farva and Super Troopers, just yelling, we're number one. That's what I want to do. There's a house you can go across the street and do that at. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, I'm talking about your white trash neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. I, got can we go- I want to burn that place to the ground. Can we go do that? Because we're winners. No. We, as Bills fans, are winners. <sighs> but since there's no arson allowed here on the Rockpile Report, no, and we're not going to destroy Chris's apartment, I mean, not yet, no, is we're going to sit here, we're going to drink frosty cold Moosehead Lager and bask in postseason victory. Oh, it hits, it hits the spot. Mmm. Yeah. Oh, it's overboard. You know, one thing that we're not going to talk about that we should just get out of the way right now, because I know it's not in your 
lineup. Is everybody that came after me for week 17, Isaiah McKenzie. Oh, see, he's the real deal. What did he do on Saturday? He did shit. No no rushes, no rushing yards, no targets, no receiving yards. He did not. Did he even go in motion? Folks, our moniker is the hardest drinking, pettiest Bills podcast. That right there just underscores that even in victory, Chris can find something to yeah. something to take some cheap Proved shots exactly at. what I said. It was the Matt Flynn. It was a wide receiver version of that Matt Flynn game, Green Bay against Detroit. <laughs> did you just invoke the name Matt Flynn? I did. Everybody, oh. everybody knows that that one game against Detroit to end the season got him that contract with Seattle. I can't. I don't even know what to do with you, sir. But I respect your. I, hey, listen. We're winners. Winners get to do what they want. And if you yeah. want to invoke the name Matt Flynn on my podcast, it'll be the only time I allow it. So have at it. Enjoy yourself. Exactly. But, I mean, <laughs> hey, that, that game Saturday was a great watch for us. Oh, folks, strap in. This is the first of a two-part Rock Pile Report podcast this week. I can already feel it. It's just too big. This is just too momentous. Got to break it up a little bit. And it starts... With our 2020 wildcard recap, the Bills 27 and the Colts 24. I feel like before we even dig into the game itself, we got to talk about the game day. The game watch recap that we do every week. Usually it's just tongue-in-cheek for our own amusement. For some of the people who, I don't know, they like to see how the other half lives. Yeah. This week it was much bigger than that. I mean, first of all, just before kickoff, literally... 20 minutes before kick 20 minutes before you showed up at my house we get a delivery of craft beer from Vegas from Kyle Washington it was almost like an omen hey guys it might come last second but good things are showing up for you today then you show up at my house with fight milk Oh, Explain yeah. to the listeners what fight milk well is. if you watch Always Sunny in Philadelphia you know that Mac and Charlie had a, a business pr- proposal of fight milk Four bodyguards by bodyguards, the first and only alcoholic protein drink. Now, there is a YouTube channel called How to Drink, and he did the recipe for it. You, if you watch the show, you kind of already know, well, it's vodka and milk. <laughs> so to like kind of spice it up a little and kind of make it more palatable and classier, uh, the guy at How to Drink used a uh, Nacello, which is a walnut liqueur. So if you were to make Fight milk as a singular drink, two ounces of vodka, two ounces of milk, one egg, and an ounce and a half of Nacello. Shake it all together, pour it in a rocks glass, and then garnish with nutmeg. This man walked into my house with a zester. Yeah. It's a football game, and you brought a zester. Do you know right then and there, the Chelsea boots? Okay, I'll let those slide to a certain degree. I'll make fun of you, especially when one of your pair of boots looks exactly like one of my wife's pair of boots. I Wait till Jack's wearing I a have, pair of Chelsea's. I swear to God, he'll be sleeping outside. <laughs> he will sleep outside. I don't care if he's one. <laughs> you, sh- you brought that stuff to my house. You Mark has door dashed some absurd things. Arby's and McRibs. McRibs, Arby beef and cheddars. You walked into my house with a zester and I almost wanted to fist fight you. Well, you tried it. You said it was 
pretty good? Oh, it was pretty good until you force-fed me nine, nine small espresso cups of it. Yeah. Which is what, as we're going to get into, that led to what, so- Yeah, that's what came with the, n- mm. the Nacella was I got a saucer and an espresso cup. I was like, oh, cool. Drew is going to be doing shots of fight milk out of here. And I even got you on that bet. Uh, last second missed field goal. Like, he's going to miss it here. And you're like, it's 33 yards. It's a chip shot. <laughs> Off the upright. Do a shot of fight milk. Yeah. And who almost got fought? It was you with your dumb ass hair. <laughs> Patented Mark Smith game day spread. We talk about this all the time. We tweet about it. He shows up with it. This is what he showed up with to my house. An 18 pack of Milwaukee's best premium, which to my knowledge is an oxymoron. There is nothing premium about uh, Milwaukee's best. A thing of zebra cakes. And he literally made the mandate. Anytime the refs made a bad call, you have to eat one of these. And we almost destroyed the box. Uh, Unruffled potato chips and dip because he knows that I think unruffled chips are for pores. Malto meal fruity pebbles and something that he declared rock tails. Chris. Yeah, yeah the rock tail. He's, de- he's decided that he is an homage to us and our show. In classic Mark fashion, it's the cheapest things. It's a combination of the cheapest things you can imagine. Recipe 21 cinnamon whiskey and RC Cola. Like, what? what? And he's calling it the rock tail. I love that it was your girlfriend's first experience with game day Drew. Oh, it's fantastic. She's never seen a game where there was any real skin. There, there was no skin in it. There was no anxiety. So she didn't. I remember her questioning. She goes, are you sure that his outbursts, you're not just aggrandizing them for a dramatic effect? Well, for most of the time, most of the game you know, at the table was uh, your wife, my girlfriend, and Kyle's wife. And they really didn't move off their seats the whole game. But, you know, we're all over the yeah. all over your basement. Anytime you got like Drew... I would like just look at her and make that eye contact and she would look at me and give me like, all right, I see it. I see how this is a problem for society. I did get from her a few wide eyed stare moments when some of the vitriol that just came tumbling out of my mouth and just her laughter at how quickly my mood swings from one drive to the next. Yep. Is this man bipolar? What am I watching? I'm watching a lunatic, a madman. It was it resulted in my first angry tweet storm of the season. Yeah, burned down Twitter a little bit. It was fun. It was it was a throwback, Chris, to the uh, the days of old. Yeah, well, meaning a couple weeks ago. And then there's the aftermath, which really is what it's all about for me. I mean, cigars and a two hundred dollar bottle of Portuguese cognac, compliments of Hugo. Yep, from Portugal. Outside with our Dewalt forty five thousand BTU heater. Yeah, <laughs> just hanging out smoking cigars. It was uh, I did a Monte Cristo Platinum, nice cigar. Nice, yeah, nice cigar, nice drink. Drunk, well, I, yeah, I came outside and he had drunk Todd from over the fence there. Drunk and Todd one from of his acro- buddies. Drunk Todd from across the fence hopped the fence for the first time I think ever. Yeah. That uh, here's the best part. My dad and my uncle drove almost thirty minutes to come party and celebrate with me. I was about to leave, and you were like, "Oh yeah, my dad and Uncle Brad are coming." Well, I told Jess, I was like, well, we're staying. Like, I mean, if you have the opportunity to meet Drew's dad, you have to stay. Here's the best part. I get a text message from my dad that says, hey, we're coming. That's it. Just, hey, we're coming. And I was like, okay, sure, dad. Whatever. You probably had a couple cocktails with Brad. Everything's. I didn't say anything to my wife because I assumed it couldn't happen. 
hilarious. My uncle parks his truck, his Toyota Tundra, on my front lawn. <laughs> Scares the hell out of my wife. In typical, when I told my brothers about it, they laughed their asses off. They're like, oh, typical gear move. Yeah, signature gear move. Park on the lawn like you own the place. Yeah, we saw somebody, like, I was standing with Jessica, and somebody, like, you could tell somebody pulled in, and she was like, did somebody just pull in on the lawn? Probably. What else are you going to, you know? You got to bring that North Collins bougie attitude <laughs> up to Cheek to Wagga. You walk into places the way uh, the, uh, Dave Chappelle's iteration of Rick James walked into Eddie Murphy's house. Nice place. My dad was pumped to hang out with Jack, and my uncle was excited to get to meet my son for the first time. It was awesome. They drove that far because this game was just such. There was just so much elation at the end of it. And, and, and throughout the course of the afternoon, I got to talk so much football with my family that I haven't gotten in so long. I found out my uncle was the Bills net boy in the 90s, and he got four Super Bowl tickets for every single one of their four Super Bowls and sold all but one year of them in order to pay for his college tuition at SUNY Fredonia. Like, that's wild to me. Chris, how hard would it be for you to make a choice like that? Like, hey, do I want student loans, or do I just want to not go to the Super Bowl to watch the Bills? It's like, at, at that point, it's like, well, at this rate, they're going to be back every year. We spent the night just talking about the win and swapping Bills' war stories. My wife got to see just how woven into the fabric of our lives this football team really is. It, it, surprised, it surprised me when I reflect back now on it, just, just talking about it. I got to admit, I haven't seen my dad that excited. That excited. He walked through the door. The first thing he did was he hugged me, and we cracked beers, and he drank some moonshine. (laughs) It got wild. Yes. He he had the moon. Like, one of our listeners gave us moonshine. He started pouring in a pint glass. I was like, yes. Which is straight gasoline, by the way. That that is legit moonshine. And your dad had a pint glass of it. It was the best. It was the best time. I haven't seen my father that excited about Bill's football since I was a little kid. It was refreshing. And ultimately, when I looked around the room, you know, I'm just I'm sitting here and I it was three generations of my family. My father, myself, my son, all decked out in his little Bill's gear and all getting to celebrate this long overdue victory together. I mean, I'm trying not. I'm trying not to get choked up here because I know how uncomfortable that makes you, Craig. Yes. Anytime somebody, anytime a male cries in front of me, that it, is, I want to. I just want to run away. It did. It's hard for me to put into words what that meant to me after all these years. But I would. I would I, assume I would have that that same interaction with my dad if he had lived. If they lived here, but I mean. Every week I'm getting calls from my parents, and I'm like, how, at least the, as of the regular season ended, how do we watch the game? And, you know, I'm like signing up for a free subscription <laughs> to YouTube TV so they could watch the Denver game because they, they don't have cable. But my parents are calling me every week. They're invested in this, too, and I haven't seen it just like you since we were kids. I sat outside after everybody left. My father and my uncle left, and Jack was in bed. My wife was asleep, and I just sat outside with a cigar, and I... I sat there and I just kept thinking about how lucky I am that I have that I've got my dad back into football 
My, my son seems to be coming along in the right era of Bill's football the same way I did. Still cocky. To suck you. <laughs> Chris thinks my son is cocky. Yeah. To have the friends that I do that I can celebrate this type of stuff with. To have this podcast that I can show up to and talk about all of it and just vent and just get it off my mind. It's, I'm just. <sighs> Chris, are you cutting onions in here? No, I'm not. I don't. Have, I don't know. I don't have I'm any off. onions. I'm just incredibly Reel lucky. In. I'm incredibly lucky for all of you, for you, Chris. As much as I, as <laughs> I hate those stupid boots. <laughs> Brown, black, gray. I got all different colors. I cursed my dad for years for just wishing this football team on me, and right now I don't think there's nowhere else I'd rather. It's it's like the old quote: "There's nowhere else I'd rather be than right here, right now." And so with that, we introduce you to tonight's guest, Greg Thompson. I don't mean to be a bitch, but the last four times we've come here, the food is awful. Meet aficionado. I apologize for the food the last few times, and we will certainly do our best to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Yeah, that's what the last waitress said. And host of Cover One Buffalo, the podcast. This steak is medium rare. I asked for it medium and I wanted extra gravy on my mashed potatoes. A man who strikes us as needing extra gravy on his mashed potatoes, Mr. Greg Thompson. How are you doing this evening, sir? I, I can't imagine a better possible introduction, and if that's my impression upon the world... I'm doing a pretty damn good job. Well, you did. well, first of all, medium is not acceptable, correct? Correct. Yeah. I, I, if I were to nitpick, she had it backwards. But <laughs> well, I can't go back and change the movie waiting. But I mean, <laughs> it does solidify that you did win a bet. Oh, and the steak bet. Well, oh, the, the the one of the just the crown jewels of our conversation this evening. For those of you who've been living under a rock, this is Greg Thompson of CoverOne.net. Self-proclaimed, can't-watch-important-games-with-other-people guy. Which, I want to know, what did you do on Saturday? How did you take this game in? So it's funny, since, since you, I mean, you would ask that, and it's a question I don't honestly like self-reflect on very often. I, I really did kind of think for a minute, and it's one of those like chicken-or-the-egg kind of questions. You know, living away from Buffalo for 20 years... I haven't lived around other Bills fans as an adult ever. Like I've just never had other Bills fans around without having to go seek out like a Bills backers bar in another city or something like that. So I just started building my own routine, which included watching the game by myself and having a very, you know, individual experience each time. And then that's grown with social media and things like that. So I honestly don't know if, that's just what I'm used to. So now I've convinced myself that I can't or if I actually have a challenge with it. I don't know. It, it's it's weird. It's just kind of how I am now. See, that sounds fun, but I can't watch games alone because if I watch games alone, there would be no gifts. <laughs> there would be no one. You to, do have a gift with the gifts. Th- there would be no lunatic yelling at the TV for Chris to capture on film. Now, this whole thing of you, we talked no food, really no drink sobriety trying to watch his football team hard pass hard pass <laughs> sir I, I will not you you can't get me to do it and the fact that you do makes you something of an anomaly to me 
Uh, no, I, I respect that, and I, I would say that you are in the majority in that <laughs> in that camp in in Bills Mafia. So, um, yeah, I, I you know obviously part of that is we go live immediately after the game, and you know I have a whole system where I'm taking notes and tracking everything and wa- wanting to be ready for for everything to go uh, into the show. So I, I'm. I have like three different screens going at all times and I'm taking notes and watching different things and uh, being able to keep track of it, that it, it takes a lot of my time and energy just to be like focused on it. I can't imagine doing that. And then I get very anxious with the game. So I don't want a full belly of, of crazy stuff that I'm, it's going to make me uncomfortable. So I oddly, as weird as all my pictures may be of the night before the game, um, I eat very little on game day. Chris, we tried to record one show immediately following the game. Yeah, the London game. And it never happened again because out of 40 minutes of audio, Chris was able to harvest one minute and 49 seconds of usable audio, and it was still just a profanity-laden tirade about E.J. Manuel. And that will be burned. It'll live forever in the annals of Rock Pile Report history. But it's one of those things that we've learned I'm just not capable of. And then last year, before I had my son, we did post-game press conferences. And that went well enough right up until the point where I went on a drunken Josh Allen tirade and fell off the podium. I fell off the podium. One of... One of the championship-level gifts. Oh, my God, that gift, where you see the, the, the backdrop shakes and actually moves out of frame because I've hit it, and people are like, oh, was that staged? No. No. No, I actually have a permanent chip in my left elbow from that. Like, it's, it's never getting any better. You and I have very different game day, game day rituals, game day presences, and yet we can both agree that this Bills win was massive. It was everything. It was a mood lifter. It was a paradigm shifter, if you will. And so as we start the recap of that, I'm going to run down our stats of the game. Josh Allen, 26-35 for 74.2, 324 324 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, two sacks, but a 121.6 rating. Phillip Rivers, 27-46 27-46 for 58.7, 309, which was surprising. Two touchdowns, no picks, no sacks. 93.5. Rivers, 4-0 in wildcard games entering this weekend. Our, our Colts running backs. Taylor had 78 yards, 3.71 yards per carry, while Naheem Hines had 75 yards and 12.5 yards per carry. But oddly, he was the lesser used back. Matt Milano, 11 tackles, 7 solo, 1 pass defended, and 1 forced fumble that we all know that happened. I don't care what Brad Allen thinks. I don't care. Free safety Micah Hyde, 7 tackles, team high 3 passes defended, all on deep passes. Tackles for loss, Bills 5, Colts 2, Gabe Davis, 4 of 4 for 85, 3 first downs that all required video review. First halftime of possession, Bills 10 minutes and 19 seconds to the Colts 1937. Phillip Rivers deep passing, 6 of 9 for 141 touch and no picks. Indianapolis tight ends, 14 of 16, 136, 1 touchdown, 7 completions for double digit yardage. The Colts, two for five in the red zone, and kicker Tyler Bass, 54-yard field goal, longest field goal for a rookie in NFL playoff history, 23 consecutive point-after attempts, and 14 consecutive field goals. And I think the stat that resonates the most, Chris, 
9,142 days since the Bills' last playoff victory. I'll drink to that. I Greg, can feel every day, every one of them. Greg, how much, how anxious did you get during that game? So, I mean, obviously, you, your comment on the fumble is the perfect moment that I think, honestly, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more coming up here, but our bet, a lot of our discussions, a lot of people would be amazed if they scrolled through our, our private messages after some <laughs> games. Um, if I asked you when that fumble didn't get turned over, what did every fiber in your being tell you was going to happen? Um, I actually sent out a tweet that cost us like 30 Twitter followers almost immediately. <laughs> like I, I had my first angry tweet of the bill season. And I think I saved it all for that moment. It was, it wasn't good. So, it, you know, that I think honestly is the crux of what everyone should feel like that, you know, to put whatever movie you want to reference it to the dawn is darkest or the night is darkest before the dawn. That moment is everything that our fanhood has showed us that. Nope. Here we go again. It's going to happen again. I can't believe it. And anyone who tries to tell me they didn't think that or feel that in that moment is lying. And to be able to then see, oh, my gosh, we held up. It didn't happen. The ridiculous thing didn't turn into the reason we lost was so freeing. My tweet was right after the end of the game and after Micah Hyde volleyball spiked the Hail Mary. <laughs> Thank God. Um, Thank God. My, my tweet was that might have been the biggest exhale of my life. <laughs> like it was just an involuntary. And it was so comically exaggerated because it was literally a, just a weight lifting off my shoulders. Chris, I was manic. Yeah, I was. You know, Kyle Trimble banged up bills. His wife found a piece of wicker on the side of the road for you to smash. You didn't touch it. Nope. I was surprised that you did not go out to your driveway and just Hulk smash this piece of white wicker. When that was coming, well, when that play, when when the they, they did, Brad Allen and his crew somehow decided that that wasn't a fumble, it almost happened. But I said to myself, there's still time. Maintain your composure for 45 to, not even 45 can maintain it for 10 more minutes. And if and if there's something worth freaking out about, sure, go go set the lawn on fire. I don't know. There's no one here who can stop you anyway. <laughs> there's no one here who would. And <laughs> I would have... Oh, I don't even want to think about what would have been, Chris, because ultimately the day I had was so rewarding that I don't even want to sully the memory. It was just... It was a dark time, and yet the Bills crawled out of it. In this game that was up and down, back and forth, I think in a way that most Bills fans didn't expect. I mean, Greg, agree with me or disagree. In the run-up to this game, the narrative was the Bills were going to boat race this team, and it was going to be a real struggle for the Colts to keep check. And yet I got in trouble. I went over and did the Cold Front Reports uh, Friday Night Tailgate with Mookie Hawkins and Jeremy Turner and um, Clayton Garrett. Clayton Garrett. And I made myself very unpopular by saying that there was going to be a point. I said the Bills would probably be losing coming out of the first half, and fans needed to be ready for that. 
The reason why is I looked at the stats and saw that they were in the top 10, top five of the NFL for first and second quarter scoring. And yet in the second half, they were in the low teens because it speaks to the fact that they don't have a lot of elite talent. Once their attack gets figured out predominantly, they tend to fade. So I warned people. We would have, we wouldn't, we might not have the lead coming out of half, and you need to emotionally prepare for that. And people told me I was a lunatic. And yet here we are, they go four and out, and that sparks a drive that we somehow escape into the second half with the lead. It wasn't a given. And I, did they or did they not play us much tougher than you envisioned? So Aaron and I spent a great deal of time trying to kind of warn people that this is a really good team. They're top 10 offense, top 10 defense, top 10 special teams, um, that there's a element here of if you're going to put together the recipe for a Bills upset, they have a lot of the ingredients to be able to pull that off. Um, you know, I still expected them to pull away towards the end. We, we kind of cautioned similar to what you mentioned that – Early on, they're going to be able to keep up. We expect them to try to do. I actually referenced the, uh, you know, Belichick and Parcells versus the Bills in Super Bowl 25, like that kind of time of possession game plan in a perfect world scenario. They'd end up with 40 minutes of time of possession. Um, lo and behold, there was a point where it was 20 minutes to eight, you know, prior to that two minute drill uh, at the end of the first half. They they had a perfect game plan. Fortunately for the Bills in the six to eight critical plays of the game, the bills executed better on almost every single one of them. And the Colts controlled almost every other element. Like if you look at any metric of who was the better team in that game, the Colts controlled or won all of them in, you know, the really predictive elements like number of first downs achieved um, and overall yardage of, of what they put together. It was, a great game plan with a few questionable decisions and honestly some close misses, some fingertip <laughs> catches. If, if, you know, Pittman comes down with that touchdown on fourth and six and it makes it 17 to seven, you know, maybe the Bills still drive down and score because they still would have the same amount of time left. But going into halftime, 17 14 instead of 14 10, that's a totally different world. Maybe we're barely tying it 17 17 coming out of the half to be able to get to that point. Um, it's it's a much different game if a couple little things go their way. So fortunately, you know, I made the comparison. We've watched the Patriots have these games forever. We've watched them do it to us. How many times have we sat there and said, oh, my God, we just dominated that entire first half. Somehow Brady pulled out a touchdown drive at the end and we're losing 14-10 and they get the ball coming out of the second half. How the hell did this happen? Yep. You know, how many times have we told ourselves that story? <clears throat> Somehow we're at the other end of that now. It's nope. kind of nice. So in trying to break this down, I've decided to do it in the most simplistic way possible because I'm a caveman. I like to drink beer and I like to just uh, you guys are very nuanced. You guys like to <laughs> I like to make this as simple as possible. So I'm going to break this down into two categories, matchup matchups, the Indy one and matchups, the Bills one starting on the Indianapolis side of the fence. One of the things that shocked me was seeing their downfield passing against our cornerbacks in our zone coverage. I mean, I think it's really, I'd say in uncharacteristic fashion over what we've seen from the last month and a half of football, Rivers was able to beat the Bills deep a number of times, specifically in that second half where they're trying to mount a comeback. That's been the MO of the Bills. Get a lead, play zones, just kind of shut down the passing game and make them dink and dunk their way, burn a lot of clock, and we run away with a victory. 
That's been it throughout our primetime run here the last month and a half. And, <laughs> I mean, then you watch this game, and in the second half, Rivers is still connecting. Still connecting. 18 yards, 10 yards, 3 yards when it's third and two. I mean, do you, how much of this do you think was a byproduct of our focus on stopping the run? Um, I mean, obviously a part of it is because – you know, the, their offensive line is so talented. If you're not careful or if you hedge or if you're not really, really sound in how you approach it, they can dominate things and run away with it. I think some of the some of the odd takeaways of this game are I think everyone's immediate reaction is, oh, my gosh, we got gashed in the run. Well, honestly, for the first three quarters of that game, we shut down their run pretty well. They busted off two huge runs to open the fourth quarter and then hit a couple others on their follow-up drive and ends up looking pretty bad with, you know, 160-plus yards rushing total uh, given up. They actually had it bottled up pretty well and, and fairly inefficiently uh, up to that point. So it was working. I do think it's fair to question, did they overcommit to the point where – you know, having your linebackers that close, being ready, they open obviously opened up a bit of a zone right behind them in front of the safeties that we saw those tight ends eat over and over and over again. Oh, it was incredible. And I mean, Rivers threw a surprising number of passes to me that were either because of his incredible placement just sh- or just sheer luck weren't turnovers. The Hyde, okay? So Hyde misses one early on that sideline incompletion to T.Y. Hilton. That somehow that officiating crew almost called a catch, even though it bounced off the guy's shoulder. It very obviously didn't make it to anyone's hands, but they tried to call it a catch for five seconds. That one kind of goes through Hyde's hands. He almost has it bucketed, and it just kind of goes past him. Then on that on that throw to Mo Ellie Cox to the five-yard line, it's literally just over the outstretched fingers of Micah Hyde trying to swat mm. that thing down, maybe even intercept it. But he knew he had a size mismatch there, and he throws it to his tight end, who boxes out perfectly, high points the ball, gets it, plucks it out of the air. It's one of these things where he found that gap. He attacked our safeties and attacked that area behind the linebackers routinely. And he used a lot of those. I, I saw Eric Turner break it down. The drive and mesh concepts really gave our zone defense fits. That that could be problematic going forward in the playoffs. Don't you agree? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, now you look at a game with probably, I'd say, equal, maybe a step back in running back talent. Not a big step back, maybe a slight step back, but a pretty material step forward in tight end talent. Mark Andrews is better than any individual tight end on the Colts team. Maybe not the depth. You know, the, the Colts have three pretty good tight ends. Um but that's certainly a threat, not to mention how ridiculous of a concern it is when you get to a, the Travis Kelsey's of the world and someone like that. Um, so certainly something that is going to be a concern. But to be completely honest, is kind of the – in today's NFL when you're playing what I think is pretty completely pick-your-poison defense. Like I, I don't know that there's – no defense in the NFL shuts anyone down anymore. That, that's just not – really feasible Mm -hmm. um keeping stuff in front of you choosing to give up plays to jack doyle instead of ty hilton i'd probably pick jack doyle too you know like i i get it now it's frustrating when you see it happen but in the grand scheme of things and we'll get to it in you know matchups the bills one um 
it's probably an acceptable evil, a lesser of evil that they're choosing to give up more than what fans would like or more than what fans realize. I just I watch some of this and I think to myself on defense, this is what you couldn't have had. This was the defensive game plan that you couldn't have played in order to win this football game. You almost lost it. You played a very aggressive around the line of scrimmage gain, and that came in handy in the red zone. But in the open field between the 20s, you really got beat up a bit in the linebacker core in terms of pass coverage. We watched Tremaine Edmonds make some really poor choices when it came to picking on those mesh concepts. Who is he going to take? Well, I'll tell you what, that's not anything that's going to get any easier as the playoffs go on. That's something he's going to have to acclimate to. Matt Milano did what he could, but even he had a miscom with a safety where he thought he had safety help, and it led to that long uh, Trey Burton or, no, Jack Doyle touchdown. Jack Doyle touchdown. He just, pure miscommunication. He felt like he had help, and the safety had to commit to somebody else who was coming across it, there's nothing you can do about that, but it makes you concerned about the constitution of this defense. Now, the thing I love about the playoffs is that from one game to the next, they are kind of their own season, right? Everything, I mean, you look at what the Tennessee Titans and the Baltimore Ravens put on on Sunday. The Tennessee Titans were had one of the most anemic pass rushes in all of football, which is hysterical because they signed Vic Beasley and then cut him. They signed Jadavian Clowney, and then he produced nothing all season long. They had five sacks of Lamar Jackson in their close loss, but inevitable loss. So each week you get an opportunity as a playoff team to be something you're not or to show that you're something a little bit different than what people have seen from you the week before. We're going to need to see that from this defense because I'll tell you, we got beaten up in a lot of key categories. And the I think the other glaring one was our offensive line, the offensive line of the Indianapolis Colts versus our pass rush. Chris, how I think I threatened to throw a beer if I saw them throw two blitzers on another. I was like, I'm going to throw a beer. Everyone watch out. Back up. Because I'm going to I live here. I live here. I know drywall. It doesn't matter. I'm going to chuck this beer across this room if I see them send extra blitzers and not get a sniff of pressure on Rivers. In that final drive where they're trying to... I get what you're trying to do. You're trying to force Rivers to make early decisions and check it down. And they weren't close. They never even got a sniff of him. And that was a theme throughout the course of the game. What do you think that's attributed to? So, part of it, I think, is... There's only so much you can do in under two seconds, period. Like, there are some where... You can send nine guys, and a quarterback can still get the ball out. Like you know, it's the number of people you send, how creative the the blitz is. We made short fun of, of Philip, literally. We made fun of Philip Rivers on this podcast for having one of these. We called him Ben Roethlisberger Jr. That yes, he was yes. essentially short time to throw. He's not going to. He doesn't have many yards from the line of scrimmage. They're going to run a very Steelers like offense, and instead he came out and was way more aggressive than we were ready for. Yeah, so the I, I think the the sh- the shift for them was a slight shift in the route tree and the route combinations that they ran. He still was getting the ball out pretty darn quickly. 
Um, so the times that he went more, they actually ran a lot of max protect where they didn't send all that many guys out into the, the routes, which obviously was a challenge. Um, you saw us starting to mix up where things weren't getting home. So they started to pivot to more corner blitzes. You know, you saw Taron Johnson coming off yes. the edge several times. You saw other combinations like that, trying to find a way to be honest. I think Taron Johnson might've been the only defensive player that physically touched Philip Rivers during the game. Um, I don't know that anyone else had an official quarterback hit beyond him, um, let alone, uh, you know, any, any sacks. We obviously didn't have any sacks. Um, so, you know, it, I think that's certainly a concern. Part of that is you can make a pretty decent case that's the best offensive line in football. You know, so part of that is, hey, Quentin Nelson and, and you know, uh, the the talent that they put together there with Ryan Kelly and, and each of the different pieces there are pretty phenomenal they're not going to give up a lot as it is i was disappointed we couldn't get any combination against jared veldier to to get home that certainly should have yes. been a matchup we should have won i was hoping that you know some combination of um you know phillips jefferson or oliver could have beat mark glowinski i thought he was a guy that they could have beat individually but overall I think that more of it was Rivers getting rid of the ball quickly or anytime they weren't going to immediately get rid of the ball, them going max protect than necessarily just a straight out failure on our defensive line. Um, although obviously they didn't have a good game as it was one of the other matchups that I thought I was as frustrated with that. I don't think got a ton of attention was the reason the bills were running the ball in situations. We didn't want them to run the ball was they were literally giving five-man boxes. It wasn't a seven-man box. It wasn't a six-man box. It was a five-man box where Josh is supposed to check into a run, where the play call was a pass, and he looks and says, hey, there's only five guys here. We're supposed to run the ball. And they were somehow still winning some of those. And, you know, obviously... That's deflating. That is deflating. A little bit of that is... DeForest Buckner is a freak of nature and he blew up the line of scrimmage on several of those but the fact that they were able to commit six into pass coverage and have some of them were six man boxes um, but five or six man boxes and still defend the run that's concerning now I don't really care I'd be fine if they passed the ball 85% of the snaps um, the Ben Roethlisberger the treatment fact that, what? The Ben Roethlisberger treatment where he throws yeah, the yeah, ball yeah. for um, it was slightly better than him. But yeah, that, that same idea. Um, but w- when you go to run the ball, you ought to be able to do it pretty decently against five or six man boxes. So that was still concerning regardless. Uh, but that was a takeaway for me that, you know, we spend a lot of time on our show talking about you don't need I don't care about run pass balance. I care about efficiency in the run when you do run. I care about explosive runs when you do run. And that you can make it effective. So regardless of the balance of it or how many times you do it, the defense has to care. They have to give a crap. If you can let them drop that many guys into coverage, it's harder to have, you know, one of the best passing games in the NFL, which we have. There's no set, there's no positive of making that more difficult on yourself. Well, in that light, it's actually more impressive that we accomplished what we did in this game through the air. So with that in mind, we switch over to the Buffalo Bills and look at what they won. And one of the big ones for me was the red zone defense. (laughs) Down there in the (laughs) – I'll say this. When you – if anybody wants to really get an idea of how good this defense is, go back and watch. I mean, between the guys at the Athletic, between the guys at Cover 1, between – there's a lot of outlets out there where you can go find – 
film review footage of what went on in those red zone possessions where the Colts got no points. And you watch how our defense as a whole, something about when you backed us up and now Phillip Rivers has no deep option. Now they have to operate in tandem as an offense. The offensive line has to be in tune with the runners. Phillip Rivers has to be able to see his options. We as a defense just, we had that ability to stiffen up and play some of the best team defense I think I've ever seen from this football team. I mean, it's it was incredible. The, I, it actually goes to both sides of the ball. Um, you know, you look at the, the red zone offense and the red zone defense, those two combinations that when you're talking about the overall play and we say that overall the Indianapolis Colts – I not even one close to dominated the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball for the predominant part of the game, except where it really mattered. And that when the bills got into the red zone, they converted for touchdowns, including multiple times with power runs and things like that, where it was imposing your will. And when the Colts with their dominant offensive line actually needed to impose their will with their 230 pound athletic running back, they got stuffed and it it was it it doesn't make any logical sense i i don't understand how they can be so incongruent of being pushed around <laughs> and dominated 20 to 20 but like i said you know a lot of times football comes down to that where it's six to eight plays that do it and in a game like this you know aaron and i measure things like toxic differential and how important that is this is the first time all season the bills won a game where they lost toxic differential and not only lost it it was by a significant amount it was nine to five they almost doubled the amount of you know, we had no turnovers on them. They had all the explosive plays and all the turnovers. And going through that combination, it was only because when we got close, we converted for a touchdown. When they got close, they settled for a field goal. They punted or they turned over on downs. And those handful of critical plays were the difference in this game. I think the guy who stood out in a lot of those sequences to me was Matt Milano. I mean, he just it was the man wrote his own paycheck, I think, in this game. If you watch the film, and I'm sure our GM is sitting at home going, ah, shit, now I'm going to have to, I have to pay this guy. Why? Because you watched him illustrate his value to the defense by diagnosing things quickly, and even despite not being the biggest, most physical linebacker. Chris, if I told you, you've been quiet for a while now. Yeah, (laughs) I'm just listening to your conversation. That's my job. That's why I'm here. If I told you that being disruptive at the line of scrimmage, getting in the hole and bodying a linebacker, getting lower than him and blowing him backwards within a f- from the three-yard line. If I told you that that was the... Our linebacker made a play like that, you would probably assume that just based on the power that would take, it was Trey Edmonds, right? Yeah. Yeah. Instead, it's Matt Milano being the guy who cannot be out-wiggled in the hole... He takes on Naheem Himes 1v1 in the hole on that goal line attempt and just thumps him down for no gain. I mean, it was a And great- I'll even add, he's probably as good of an example as any of a guy that he, he wasn't perfect 20 to 20. He, he had stretches that nope. might not even have been good 20 to 20 and then was not only good, was exceptional in the red zone. And 
I would love to know a little bit more about, about how we could maybe not have that be completely pick your poison. But if we're being honest with ourselves, we need to brace for a little bit of that here against the Ravens. We're not going to shut down their offense either. They're going to move the ball. We just need to be able to hold them when it matters and you know hold for touch, hold for field goals, not touchdowns, punts, not field goals, you know, turnover on downs, those kind of things. And you know, having that integrity in the red zone is what's going to matter. Oh, absolutely. One of the other things, despite early struggles, our downfield passing really came through for us. I mean, this game proved to a certain extent that even on bad days, there's simply too much talent in this wide receiver core for any opposing team to hold down for all four quarters. I mean, early on, you saw some struggles. We're going to talk about this in a second. Some of it might have been play calling related. You know, your 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 champion, your man. I I feel like <laughs> I feel like in the first half I was Michael B. Anthony from Black Panther yelling to Greg Thompson, just is this your king? Is this your king? What are you doing? But the downfield passing was still robust and they still found a way to make plays. They still found a way to get guys involved. Even when it didn't work from one drive to the next drive to the next drive, I mean, I think fans have this perception that once you, that you have to establish a role. Like you have to, hey, we got to get on a roll play calling. Otherwise, down, or we have to run the ball really well in order to set up the pass. This is a football team that this weekend proved that even when the run isn't working, we can pass the ball. We can not only pass the ball, but we can do so in order to be the crux of our offense. To dynamic effect, I think. If that there's anything that was the if there's anything that I was right about or going to pat myself on the back for going into the game, I thought I thought down passing and the combination of the uh, receiving options that we had to throw at them would eventually be too much for it. It didn't play out the way that I thought. It didn't. It was closer than I anticipated it to be, and I did think uh, Buffalo was going to cover uh, the six and a half point spread, um, but the fact that they didn't have the horses to keep up with us and the secondary ended up being uh, a big piece of that. So I was, I was happy to see that even if it was not by the degree that I thought it would be. So this leads me to the inevitable part of this conversation. Dable's game plan and his play calling has been criticized. And I want to question, I want to talk to you about whether or not that's valid. Now entering this game, the prevailing thought, according to people like me is that, Brian Dable sucks in the third quarter, or at least he did right up until you and I made a bet. He was the worst. We had one of the worst third quarter offenses. So I badgered you until 1145, almost midnight at night, just with message after message after message needling you about your love of Brian Dable. And finally, you snapped, as most of the people I needle do. I mean, I, I, I listen, professional bill collector. I used to do repossessions. I know how to break people. Emotion. It's just don't, don't take it personally. It's just what it's I do. Skill. It's a skill. <laughs> so you said, what? What do you want? I'll never forget this conversation. You go, what is it that you want from me? And I said, I want you to make me a bet. And you said, I will bet you anything right now to make this conversation stop. And I said, OK, that's it. His third quarter miscues are going to cost us in the playoffs and we are going to lose a playoff game because of it. We're going to get outscored. And you said, fine, whatever it takes. If that's it, that's it. Done. It's a bet. Now leave me alone so I can go to sleep. 
Fast forward a month and a half, almost two months. Literally to the day, the very next week, Brian Dable started being one of the best third-quarter offenses. He started quarterbacking one of the best third-quarter offenses in the league. And I feel like if this is my cross to bear, then I I gladly do it. I do it gladly. If if this was the moment that it cost us to understand the breadth of your powers, it was all worth it. Exactly. That's it. (laughs) It, 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 It's like, look – I had to be I had to be the anti mush. I had to take one for the for the collective team here. But ultimately, Brian Dable's game plan coming into this game. I charted it for you, Chris. You know how I love charts. Our listeners know. Yeah, there's I love a charts. huge chart in front of me. Chris, you're gonna put this in a graphic and tweet it out later so our listeners can find it at Rockball Report on Twitter. <sighs> What I saw out of the gate from this team was a struggling offense that fell behind. Except to your point, we went on a last-minute kind of two-minute drill and walked down the field and somehow leave the first half with a touchdown. So I've charted this drive-by-drive and identified the players involved. And the thing that I've found here is that drive one starts with a run, a short pass and a deep pass attempt, and then we punt. Three and out. We had three three and outs in our first five possessions in the first half. But as you go down and you look at it, our successful drives were heavily skewed towards the passing game and our most talented wide receivers. Whereas our three and out drives heavily predicated on the run, specifically those utilizing Moss. Okay, The first drive, Moss, run, short pass to Beasley, deep pass to John Brown that honestly that pass to Brown... If he had put his hands on it, Greg, I think it would have broken his fingers. That was, if you're going to have any example of Josh getting a little bit of that sugar high, Josh, that, you know, uh, too much juice and energy from the first time playing in front of the crowd, it was that pass. That that was the pass where I think he saw, like, oh, man, all right, I got to dial it back in a little bit. Uh, yeah, there was no human on earth who could have caught that ball. I'm going to skip the second drive, and I'm going to talk about the third drive. You brought up six-man, five-man boxes. (laughs) Drive three starts off with a short pass to Zach Moss and two quarterback runs by Josh Allen. It's another three and out. Under two-minute drive. So now you haven't possessed the ball for very long in this game. At that point, you have the lead. Drive four comes around now that you've lost the lead, and it's three consecutive runs by Zach Moss and a punt. <sighs> the play calling here. <laughs> I want I want your best defense of it. So I'll I'll start by saying this was one of my most frustrating games of the season with Brian Dable. Um there's a couple of things I, I think I can at least explain the logic of a bit. I don't think you can have as wide open of a play sheet when you're starting drives at the six and at the four and at the nine. Like it's, it's not, you can't go to just, Hey, why aren't we taking seven step drops with deep shots to Stefan Diggs? Be like, well, cause if your tackle gets called for holding, it's a safety. Um, you know, that there's just, you can't have Josh dancing around from the end zone constantly to be able to do those things. He actually had one of his most impressive throws of the game out of his own end zone. Um, the ridiculous shot up the, up the sideline to, uh, to Gabe Davis. Um, so there's a couple things from that direction that I think are 
at least reasons that we saw a little bit more. I'll pick out the one drive with the three straight runs to Zach Moss. So the first one is an eight yard run. Like that's that's a good thing. You know, I'm not huge on running on first down. I, I think the analytics show pretty strongly it's one of the best down to run play action, and you can take some shots on it, and you can really catch a defense. We also, in fairness to Brian Dable, we pass more on first down than any team in football. So they do follow the analytics. They do do that a fair amount to be able to uh, lean into the smarter way to run an offense. On that one, if your guy gets eight yards on first down and you're in second and two, I'd kind of like to think you can convert and be <laughs> able to get the first down. Like, so, you know, in hindsight, does that look great that it's run, 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 punt? No, of course not. That looks horrendous. But if you just isolate it that, hey, it's second and two, you were just on your own six, you're still at your own 14. You'd like to reset that and get to first down to maybe open up a little more normal offense. I'd like to think that with two runs, you could get two yards. That's my so point. I, you know, I mean, it, and when I look at that and then I think about where that was in the game, and I think that that Moss drive was incredibly problematic because it leads to another what I would call a should-be scoring drive for the Colts. Mm-hmm. It's where they went for it and fourth down and they fail, which leads to our final drive. I got a question about that three-run Moss drive. Did this come after Indianapolis put points on the board, kicked it off to Andre Roberts, and he took it out of the end zone? Yes. yes. That was Andre Roberts. He was place. already mad. Okay. He was already mad at oh. that. You, Greg, you we'll, should. We'll get to that in a moment. Yeah, Greg, you should have seen that. That's probably what set you off for this run, 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 Zach Moss drive is Andre Roberts. Uh, Greg, his his girlfriend got to see me. She had, she'd been telling us the only games she had been around for were the primetime games where there was no pressure. San Francisco the, and Denver. Because the Bills cruised. Okay. Yeah. So she, And neither were like critical games yeah, in the Yeah, but so she started to... Started to question... If the game, stories. If game day Drew was really just kind of, a, are you guys conflating this a little bit? Are you kind of pumping it up for dramatic effect? And then she saw it. And I got a couple wide-eyed looks from her where she, I'm saying something, and as I'm, it's coming out of my mouth. Her eyes are as big as dinner plates. She looks like a cartoon <laughs> character, and I was like, "Yeah, well, that's she had right. my experience." Like, I was like, "That's right, oh lady. My God. Yeah, this like, isn't a shtick. This, this is real. Shtick. This <laughs> is real. I'm a maniac." I'm saying some crazy things. They're tumbling out of my mouth, but it doesn't matter because I'm not sorry. I'm going to say them and throw them into the ether. I don't care what bad karma that incurs. It, it was rough. So with that in mind, you look at the two touchdown drives, though. Right off the gate, like you said, first down, passing. It's a short pass to Diggs. Then followed up by, this is the first touchdown drive, a quarterback run by Allen, Followed up by deep pass to Diggs, deep pass to Davis, short pass to Singletary, a run to Singletary, and then two short passes in the red zone to inevitably score the score the first touchdown. Late, when you have no time, you go on your longest drive in terms of plays of the entire half. And it starts with a deep pass right there on first down. Right there off Jump Street, you hit them with a deep pass to Diggs. Then another deep pass to Davis, a short pass to Beasley, another deep pass to Davis, a run by Allen, short pass to Knox, a deep pass to Diggs, deep pass to Brown, two quarterback runs are in the end zone. And all of a sudden you're looking at it and you have just somehow in a woeful half of football have the lead going into halftime. 
And even I'll even say the the first quarterback run that charted here was absolutely a pass play. The that was a pass play that he scrambled for. The last two were genuinely quarterback runs where they called a quarterback draw and then called another uh, quarterback run where he he ran for the touchdowns. Um, so it, it's hard because. Um, so, so another friend of ours, that I know you speak to as well, Bruce Nolan. Um, we'll talk back and forth about how do you how do you decide when to balance things when knowing balance means to choose the less efficient thing. So if you just look at the analytics of football, in theory, it would tell you you should pass the ball on every single play, that it's always better to pass in every scenario. Because it's the higher efficiency, higher likelihood of producing positive plays. So when that's the case, but no one in their right mind is actually going to advocate for a 100% pass, 0% run ratio, you have to build in, well, when do you run? So then you build in, okay, well, you never run on first and 10 or second and 10. Those are always run plays. Those are always pass plays. It's more efficient there. Okay. And then if you're passing, and then in other scenarios, we just got frustrated because they ran the ball on second and two and third and one, third and one, but they didn't convert. So then it, it makes it complicated to figure out how much of that is simply an investment in keeping the defense honest so that your passing offense can remain as effective as it is versus genuinely running plays that you think are going to be effective. And I I don't want to assume that they're literally sacrifices to be made in the greater scheme of things, but sometimes I almost wonder how much of it is strategic and setting up future plays versus simply running it because it makes me question to, well, listen, was, why would say, you run every single or pass every single play? I don't have to wonder. I look at Isaiah McKenzie. Isaiah McKenzie's a player who gets almost no run on this football team. And yet... Yeah, he was great on Saturday. <sighs> Shut up, Chris. I'm going to kick you right in the liver. I swear <laughs> to God. I, I can explain that a little bit. Well, here's what I'll say. You watch him in, in a game like our game mm-hmm. against San Francisco. He goes on jet sweep. He goes on motion time after time after time, and he never sees the football. He never sees the football. But when you've lulled them to sleep and you feel like you need to pull the trigger on it because the game's getting, eh, okay, they're starting to step up a little bit. We've lulled them to sleep with this jet motion to the point where their linebackers have gotten lazy. They feel like they no longer have to respect this, so we're going to actually throw it to McKenzie, and guess what? He's wide open for for an 18-yard touchdown. In this way, when I look at this, I'm watching this final drive, and I'm just the thing I walk away from it going five different pass targets, all three levels of the field, and the run game flowed through Josh, and you marched down the field. That's it. Decisive. It was it was a beauty of a drive, but he, it took him a whole half to put that together. Was this all setting that up, or was this... <laughs> Because I, I don't think that's it. I don't think you choose to run three three and outs in a first half of a of a playoff game that you as an offensive coordinator have never won one before. I just sure. I don't think that that I don't think that works. But either way, you win. You won the stake bet because the <laughs> Buffalo Bills are somehow an inexplicable three uh, plus three in the third quarter, Chris. Yeah. 
They won the third quarter. They won the and third won quarter. The and they won the game. And so now the question is, where do you want to go to get steak? Oh, so it, I... Ponderosa, I, I, obviously. I, clearly. Chris, I um, swear to God, if you bring up Ponderosa, <laughs> did you know that that's where, like, I, we used to take my grandmother because she liked the macaroni and cheese. That's, I I've that's ne- the only reason you I've never there. actually set foot in a Ponderosa, but I do like that this bet has helped me along the way with uh, photo editing skills. Great. So I think it's something that it's only fair, I think, that you and Chris manage and engage with your fans as well or better than any show in the Bills Mafia you know, world and spectrum that, you know, I think obviously it makes more sense for me to come up to Buffalo, uh, to me to come join you in, in Western New York, and that we should open it up to the fans and find a place that we can honor a, a local business. I don't want a chain. I don't want a place that we're going to no. give give some corporate uh, shills some money. We, we have enough of that in our lives. I'd like to find a local business that uh, we can find some Bills Mafia followers that think that's the right place that, that deserves our contributions. Well, I like that. I, well, I like that idea. And well, Chris is about ta- to well, say something yeah, awful. Yeah, well, in Tonawanda, they consider <laughs> Longhorn to be local. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I saw it on his face. Chris didn't need to say anything. I know an insult's coming because I know you, Chris. Over a couple of years of this, we've gotten to know each other. I knew... An insult was coming somewhere. And I will say, I think it's hysterical that the game that I won our bet that was most centered on Brian Dable's inefficiencies and ultimate, I think the term that we found the crux of our argument to be was fatal flaw versus biggest weak, you know, less, yeah. less, least strength was, was it truly going to eventually be a fatal flaw? I think it's funny that the game that I technically won the bet on is the game I probably was the least pleased in his play calling. Exactly. It's very ironic that, that's that my it point. turned out that way. And that's what I loved about this. was I was like, I can't wait for Greg to come on here and try to talk to us about this because I swear to God, there's no way he can be thrilled with his. This is your king. This is your king. This is... <laughs> And like I said, there's a few points there that the, the horrible, you know, we, one thing that I think we've taken for granted, the Bills have had exceptional special teams all season long. We, we've won field position and things like that pretty We have a Pro Bowl kick returner for a reason. It, it was kind of weird to get dominated in, besides the kicking game. Our, our kickers were both excellent. But in the return game, it was weird. To, like, it took me back to the drought years of like, oh, man, this stinks. <laughs> right? We we'd got be, dominated. In we'd be remiss if we didn't, before we close the show, talk about Josh Allen's play and his first win. Now, we heard it in the intro to tonight's show. Mike Florio talking about how... Last year, his try his like playground football mentality <laughs> with Dawson Knox involved a play that could have ended in catastrophe. That has become a meme that he's been asked about probably at least five dozen times since the season ended last last year. Since that game, he's been waiting for this opportunity to show that, hey. I'm not just one boneheaded chuck away to Dawson Knox. That's not just what I am as a quarterback. And yet in this game, 
he had a playground football chuck away to Dawson Knox that ended up in a touchdown and turned out to be one of the most brilliant plays of this entire football game. Uh, I'll give another funny one. What was one of the most backhanded kind of side-eye compliments, I'll do finger quotes, uh, that people compared him to coming out? Tim Tebow. And that was very much a, a Tim t- Tebow touchdown. Like, Tim that Tebow was the play. Tebow play from Florida where he would like kind of huddle up and pretend to run the quarterback draw. And it came out afterwards. They explained it, it genuinely was an option play for Josh. Like, that was not a set run or a set pass. It was, hey, if it's there, run it. If not, pull up and you have Knox as an outlet pass. And it was a Tebow you know, almost jump pass style play. Okay, jump pass. That's not what I saw. What I saw was a guy go, hey, I'm a quarterback. I'm running the football. And then he goes, Kobe, and he drops back. Like every high schooler, every college kid who's ever played a game of beer pong has ever done. He just goes, Kobe, and just literally tried to free throw this to Dawson Knox. I don't it's not a throw. Let's not We we, we called it a shot put on our show. Shot put. No, no. This was a Kobe. This was him. He faded back on it. He goes, "Up. Oh, whoop." And he tried to put a little arc under it just so it could twirl to him. I mean, Josh Allen, it wasn't a perfect game. As we not not at least anything that we've been used to from from him over the last month. But it underscores just how far we've come as a franchise that our quarterback has two touchdowns, no picks, and over a, over 300 yards. Chris, in a playoff game! Yeah, that's and, what we signed up for. And somehow... First quarterback in NFL history to have 300 yards passing, 50 yards rushing, and 70% completion percentage. First time ever. Not Steve Young, not Steve McNair. First quarterback in playoff history to hit those checkboxes with no turnovers. It was unbelievable, and honestly... Barely anybody's talking about how good his game was. We're like being nitpicky. We're being nitpicky as a fan base. That underscores where we are as a football team. Oh. Well, it, so we had to go through that. I had people raking me over the coals in the postgame show because I was talking about the, the fumble play, um, you know, where he tried to hold on and, and fight away from the sack. And it, it's hard because – you're completely two-faced if you give him a hard time for that and then also celebrate the 15 highlight plays we have this year where he gets amazingly gets out of a sack. He's the hardest quarterback to sack in the NFL and then rifles the ball 40 yards down the sideline to Gabe Davis or whoever has their toe-drag swag moment and then get frustrated when he tries to fight out of that one and do it. Now, in the moment, I'd like him to have (laughs) some situational awareness and that I still made the point that regardless of how phenomenal Josh's game was and making the caveat that there's no chance we're in that moment without him, that's still an unacceptable play that almost cost us the game because if they recover that fumble there with the time they had left and how their offense was moving the ball, that was going to be real, real bad. But it was still you know, an amazing game to see him have a virtually flawless playoff performance short of that one moment well that's it i mean outside of the piss missile to john brown that i swear to god you would have <laughs> needed catcher's gloves to bring that thing down it was a, it was a horrible pass the butterfly net i i'm happy that john brown didn't try to catch it because he's already hurt he doesn't need yeah, any more do, pain did you see Devonte smith's hands in the national championship game yeah, last night Yeah, that's my point john brown might have been having the same procedure that's my point and then that one incredibly awful cowboy football sequence 
he was pretty composed. And in that way, he was exactly what we needed to win this game. He avoided any truly costly mistakes. All of his cultivated abilities were on display. His ability to take a solid hit. I mean, that. okay, the, the play where Darius Leonard closes on him and hits him in full stride. And Leonard throws his entire body into the hit, and Josh Allen doesn't go down. He just stops. He's like, okay, you got me. I'll that stop. an all-pro linebacker barely stalemated our quarterback <laughs> is just so phenomenal. Like, that's, that's, that's who this guy is. And if that doesn't... I, Sorry, if that doesn't make you a fan of this quarterback, then I don't know what can. His accuracy on passes to Davis and Diggs that really turned the game around. Those side, those, I want to say highlight reel catches, it takes a quarterback. I mean, you saw Josh's face. He knew he threw up a 70-30 ball. 70% you miss this, 30% you get it. And Gabe Davis came in with it on the sideline. And the, the TV kept flashing to his face, and he was looking at Gabe with these big eyes like, man, I can't believe you got that. It was incredible to watch. And creativity on the fly, that touchdown pass to Dawson Knox, it, just things that the right choice in that touchdown RPO play where he's like, okay, I could hand it off, but instead I see that the linebacker's already drifting, and I'm just going to follow it. I, I see a crease. I have it. I'm going to go into the end zone. He wasn't perfect. And yet, even in a wonky day that was up and down from execution from everybody on the team, and simply from a bad luck perspective, he was still good enough that Rivers, who I think had one of the best days he's had all season, this might have been a career playoff game for Phillip Rivers. It was, I think you made the argument it was, that this was his best career uh, playoff game in his best game of 2020, and it still wasn't enough. Wasn't enough. You couldn't overcome the fact that Josh Allen in this offense, guess what? We're just, even in a bad game, we're still that much better than you. That has to make everybody confident, right? It, that's the point I made the biggest one afterwards, and I, I put out a, a tweet that got some attention as it, as it went along, and all the different things that happened, and we still won. You know, that they ran a flawless keep away time of possession game plan and we still won that they put up 450 yards with no no turnovers and we still won that, you know, Brian Dable had one of his poorer games of the second half of the season and we still won that we couldn't win at the line of scrimmage and get, you know, uh, any any running game going and we still won all those different things are what we spent 20 years being frustrated with the Patriots with, that they would pull out these games. Which, how did they win that game? I don't understand. And then, you know, it wasn't like that the whole playoffs. You made a great point earlier on. Each playoff game is very week-to-week, very matchup-driven, and its own little universe. And that, that doesn't mean that's what's going to happen here. Now, I, I predict it is going to be another crazy, close, frustrating game. I, I don't think that either team's boat racing the other team in this uh, Ravens-Bills game, but you never know. Like, a crazy stuff happens in the playoffs, so I, I certainly, all that matters is survive and advance, and the Bills have survived and advanced. Now, your hero of the game, If you, I mean, we always nominate a hero in zero. If you had to nominate a hero, who would you pick? So it, it's hard, just like how the MVP vote goes this way, and so you know, it's really hard not to have it be Josh Allen. He really was. Does he say hard the, MVP vote? It's obviously Josh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's certainly 
the reason that they won that game and you know whatever the 87 percent of the total offense he was the best running back on the team he was the the best uh you know quarterback you, you know and driving everything that was going on there so i, I think it's there there's certainly other guys i th- certainly think it was a really encouraging game you mentioned matt milano i thought jordan poyer had, had a pretty strong game and you know obviously from uh the the rookie stepping out for that drive alone uh gabe davis had a pretty special game as well it's funny because he's our hero of the week. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a just a big, hairy American winning machine. Damn right he is. Damn right he is. Every team has a few guys like Josh Allen. They have a Stephon Diggs. Maybe. Hopefully. Every team has a guy that you know what you're going to get from them week in and week out. And to this point in the Bills season, I'm sorry, but and this is how Chris call it spoiled. Yeah, we are that I've landed in a place where I now expect Josh Allen to play like this. I expect Stefan Diggs to have 100 yards every game or else or even if even if it's 80 yards, but you can you make up five critical first downs. I expect that Diggs is going to have that type of impact. And if he doesn't. If he doesn't, it's okay because I'm assuming someone else somewhere else is somewhere else is picking up the slack, but I'm not heartbroken about it. It, it essentially they're expected to be good and when they are, no one apl- you get a golf clap. You hear that? That's what you get from the gallery when you're Josh Allen and you put on that type of game because that's who you've become to be for us. <sighs> It's who you've become to be according to our opponents and our opposing defensive coordinators. When you get to the postseason, those players are integral to your success, but the great teams, the ones that make runs, are the guys that have ancillary players that pitch in with these stellar performances when the team needs it the most. The guys who opposing defensive coordinators maybe aren't spending hours game planning for or trying to figure out who's going to step up and take away that asset. In that way, I think in 2020, 2021 here, the man for that is Gabe Davis. Gabe Davis has been that answer for us all season long, and he was that in this game. Chris, those catches he made, they, wanted, they wanted to take them away, and they couldn't find a reason. They, this, this poor officiating crew, who I swear to God, I hope they all get attacked by wild dogs on their way out to their cars after their next uh, officiating appearance. <laughs> That's that's not even the thing I said that upset Chris. Not not upset your girlfriend, but surprised her. Yeah, that I had was, a lot more vitriol. Yeah, yeah. Gabe Davis was amazing. Gabe Davis was the guy. They wanted to take some of his catches away from him, and you couldn't find a reason to. It, he has, as a rookie, he's really he's really endeared himself to Josh because Josh trusts him to throw him questionable footballs. Josh trusts him. Hey, you're on the sideline. I know this isn't going to get picked because you're going to body that guy up. And worst case scenario, it's an incompletion. I know that if you have a size mismatch, you're going to use it to your advantage enough that I think a positive play can happen. And you've seen it over the course of the season. I think his average, the games where he's targeted more than twice, his average yards per catch is more than 19. How impressive is that, Greg? 
It's unbelievable. I, I mean, his development, it, you know, and I, I'm a good example of what he's forced uh, the realization of. I was adamant early in the season, people trying to make the case that, oh, we can we can move on from John Brown. We don't need him. Uh, we're able to do this. I'm like, no, that's that's crazy. You know, he's an exceptional asset as a number two receiver now having digs. Um, and he showed that in several games early in the season. There was a point in the year where the difference in the offense with and without John Brown was very, very stark in, in what it looked like. As Gabe Davis has progressed and now, unfortunately, John Brown couldn't get healthy and then you know, had a pretty poor game here uh, th- this past week. It's undeniable now that going into next year. It's not a foregone conclusion that John Brown stays on this team and that I, I think there's still some outcomes that fall in between he stays at his current salary, he gets released, they have options there that they can certainly make something that's more palatable for him to stay here, but it is much more on the table than I realized and the sole reason for that is that Gabe Davis is ready to be a number two wide receiver in the NFL and when you have Stephon Diggs on the other side and Cole Beasley in the slot – that's a pretty special talent, and you're you know you're bringing Isaiah Hodgins back. You can re-sign Isaiah McKenzie to a probably pretty reasonable contract. Um, those kind of options are incredible, and the fact that I'm now embracing that and and touting that, you know, when I've been as strong of a John Brown advocate as is what's out there, is a pretty incredible realization that Gabe Davis has simply forced upon all of us. Chris Gabe Davis, remember how much I hated that pick. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of our picks. I remember, uh, you know, after the draft, or you know, with works with cover one, Nate Geary comes in now. The guy you got to watch is Isaiah Hodgins. Oh, really? Oh, really? Gabe Davis? No, no love for Gabe Davis. Gabe Davis is a fantastic prospect, and he he had a huge game for us. I think he floated things when our key weapons weren't working. Honorable mention here. Tyler Bass. This weekend was a rough one for kickers around the NFL playoffs. Justin Tucker, the the supreme Justin Tucker, who I think right now is the gold standard of kickers. Would you agree, Greg? I I think you can make the case he's the greatest kicker in NFL history. Thank you. He misses a 52-yard kick. Now, luckily, it wasn't for anything significant. It was just to help build some space. But he missed a 52-yard field goal in perfect weather. He missed weather. a 52-yard kick in a one-score game at the time? In a one-score game at the time. Yeah. New Orleans' Will Lutz had a 51- or 52-yard miss in a dome in a game that they were only winning 7-3. to three. Like, you're only winning a one-score game, and you've been around the NFL for five, six, seven years. Tampa Bay's Ryan Suckup. Four field goals inside the 40, but you miss an extra point? What? What are you talking about? And Chicago's Cairo Santos, he had one 36-yard attempt in a game where his team only scored twice. They weren't out of it until the fourth quarter, but they didn't trust him enough to even take a shot from 50. That's how bad of a kicker he is. When you look around the NFL, there aren't many dynamic kickers. There really aren't. I think we as football fans are starting to become more attuned to this as we watch these sort of scenarios play out. And this weekend, we watched experienced kickers struggle and some teams abandon their faith in them altogether. So in a game that was ultimately decided by a single field goal where the Colts' own rookie, Rodrigo Blankenship, 
of Georgia, who I watched all. I watched him kick in a dome at the uh, in Atlanta in a national title game against Alabama. He kicked like a 59-yard field goal to tie the game and force overtime. That's how good Rodrigo Blankenship was coming out of college. Yeah, but oh, I was told all week that they had the better rookie kicker and that they had the the better guy and one of the kickers made every kick and the other one doinked one in what ended up being a three-point game. Yeah. And, yeah, and off the face of the upright. Yeah, as that were as they were lining up for that kick. Shot of fight milk. He that looks they, at me and goes, "Shot of fight milk that they missed this kick." He goes, and, yeah, and you just go, "That's yeah, like thirty-three yards. This is a gimme." Doink. When he hit it, do a shot of fight milk. I had to laugh. I was like, "Of course I would do that. Of course I would step right in that bucket. Of course." Hey, it's, it's you like want a, to know an even better example? After the the one harebrained moment that Josh had, that crazy twenty-three yard loss with the sack and the fumble, um, when they came back and ended up not gaining and you know any significant additional yards and got back to it i actually paused for a minute because at the point it would have been a 59 yard field goal and ultimately that's not the right decision when you have a lead and the other team has no timeouts and you can punt back to them and if you miss the field goal they literally get the ball at midfield um you know when you're only up by three you can't try a 59 yard field goal the the odds and the the risk reward of that equation um doesn't net out but if they lined him up, I would have felt very confident he was going to make that 59-yard field goal. It's incredible. Our young kicker, Tyler Bass, maintains his composure and with the trust of this team, lands what is ultimately the game-deciding field goal and in the process becomes the first rookie to hit hit from 50-plus in a playoff game. Yeah. I mean, that that alone deserves some recognition. Chris, raise a glass. Oh, now we talk about the zero. Was there somebody who stood out to you as a poor influence on the game? So I'll give myself my, my take my own medicine. Uh, before the game, I had a gut feeling and told people, hey, why keep an eye out for it? I think this is going to be a big John Brown game. <laughs> oh. he, he goes out and is zero catches on four targets, two of which were not his fault. One was a a horrible drop another one that ended up getting rightfully overturned and was not an interception he didn't fight back for the ball through the defender and let the defender undercut him for that interception in the end zone that again got overturned rightfully and was not an interception uh but he could have fought back for the towards the ball more and and either broke that up or tried to make the catch himself um and had a weirdly poor game after you know he, he had been out for a while but then had that amazing first half against the Dolphins and looked like he was back up to full speed and I'm like oh my gosh we're gonna come rearing back with a full squadron of receivers it, it was weird I, I, I'm still advocating that he's gonna bounce back and contribute here in this playoff run but that was a pretty zero game for me and, and uh, you know having a receiver that you trust like that to drop a critical ball in a moment like that and then let himself his defender out muscle him for an interception that could have ended a scoring drive that was critical to this game uh that was the zero for me that's that's a pretty good one but it's not bigger than ours and i think you might even agree with it once you hear my reasoning our zero of the week is kick returner andre roberts you folks fell on your face you get an f minus in my book f minus doesn't do this justice i'm gonna give you some numbers three 15 11 6 and 4 
Those were the yard markers for the Bills' first half drives. That's where they started. So the four-yard line is a byproduct of a fourth down, a fourth, a failed fourth down conversion for the Colts. I can excuse that, but the early ones, the early ones are ugly. The three, the fifteen, the eleven. You can kiss my ass, John Robert. Uh, Andre Roberts. I, I, d- d- that's disgusting. So much of this can... If, there's a part of me that thinks it's a conspiracy theory at, at best. I think that these are questionable decisions on his part because he seems convinced now that he's made... He's made the Pro Bowl again. But also, he watched Isaiah McKenzie... Work in his kind of hey, I can be a kick returner too. Look at me, I you, Isaiah McKenzie. Can, all these guys have their own jobs on their mind. Last week we saw Isaiah McKenzie come out here in a returner fashion and be electric in Week 17. So here in the playoffs, Andre Roberts out here to prove hey, I can be electric too. I can take a punt from the end zone and I can make big things happen. Except you can't. And in that way. I feel like he literally set us up for failure that entire first half. And then it's hard to argue that a conversation wasn't had because in the second half, here's our drive starts, the 28, the 23, and the 25. And all three of them resulted in scoring drives. Why? Because we had, to your earlier point, decent field position where Josh Allen wasn't afraid to drop back and to do the things that he had to do. And our offensive coordinator could open up the playbook knowing that we're not under the imminent threat of safety or (laughs) turning the ball over on our own 10. It's field position matters. And in a postseason where you're dealing with great kickers, great punters and great special teams units, you can't afford to gift your opponents yardage the way Roberts did. I'm hoping that this was a wake-up call for him going forward because I don't know what we'll do if he does that again. Yeah, and I, I think there's a couple scenarios there where you saw the team, you know, so a couple of them are are tough. The initial one is, you know, a, a punt that, that gets downed and takes a uh, an Indianapolis bounce. He had been pretty good all season at aggressively coming up to catch the ball. There was a lot of traffic around the ball at that time, so I think – you know, technique-wise, I think they do teach you don't try to press up into traffic to try to catch a ball on the run. If you know, if you muff it, it's an easy turnover. Um, I, I think that that's understandable. But I will say he had been exceptional at that all year at aggressively coming up to field punts. And I usually would make that point at the difference of him versus Isaiah McKenzie, in that he didn't let balls bounce to give up those things. If he catches the ball at the 15 and doesn't let it bounce to the three, that's a huge difference. You then look at the the ball that he takes out of the end zone that ends up being infuriating. That's coming off of a score from Indianapolis, you know, where all of a sudden we lost the lead. Everybody's frustrated. And he obviously was pressing and trying to make something happen. Taking the ball out of the end zone isn't, a disaster in some scenarios if you see a seam if you're centered and you have both the left and the right as an option if they kick the ball into the end zone and it's cornered and you're over pinned against the sideline and three or four yards deep there's no scenario ever 
where bringing that ball out is acceptable. There's no coach. There's no technique. There's no one who would ever say, yes, you, there's a scenario where you should bring the ball out of the end zone when you're pressed against the sideline and three or four yards deep. He was purely trying to press and make a play happen, and he has to be smarter than that. He just has to. And that that was really disappointing for me because – as you know, I'm a big advocate of his. I've, I've supported him a great deal, and a huge portion of that is he's the best combination of aggressive and smart, and makes the right plays. He knows when to push and do those things. And to see him just make a flat out bad decision, I'll say we got screwed a little bit. They showed him get a face mask on that play. We should have gotten the penalty, not the bullshit uh, Jaquan Johnson holding call yeah. that ended up happening. But either way, it would it would have simply bailed him out. Of a horrible decision. That's why I said I hope I I hope that Brad I, during the game I think I said in full throat that I hope Brad Allen gets hit by a drunk driver and trapped in his car in traffic <laughs> for at least four hours as he's leaving the stadium. And everyone in the room looked at me. They're like, Drew, that's dark and that's very specific. Like, why would you say a thing like that? It's like, oh, you have no idea what's boiling around him inside my skull. Yeah. Well, I, you, well, you did. It, it gets dark in here. You did violently eat a zebra cake because when you put it to your mouth and pulled it away, like crumbs went everywhere on the table into the shrimp, into my chicken wing dip. That was like one of the things that like my girlfriend had pointed out. Like his the his violent. <laughs> biting of a zebra cake like it just like crumbs just went everywhere because uh, he was mad at the ref and had to eat a zebra cake sometimes you gotta eat a zebra cake sometimes you have to do it Greg final thoughts and looking ahead if you could summarize what this means and just kind of your your emotions ahead of Saturday so I've been trying to kind of grasp that and have talked through a couple of things because you see I, some people talking about the further we move along, the more anxious I get and the more frustrated or disappointed I'll be with any loss, no matter how far we move along. Some people now saying, oh, it's all house money. This is all gravy. Coming into the year, my expectations were win the division, host a home playoff game, win a playoff game. Anything else would be a bonus. I think anyone who says that their expectations didn't raise as the season went along is is kidding themselves. So I, going into the playoffs, I made the case that winning two playoff games would be meeting my expectations that, hey, we had a really good season. There's no scenario where you could try to tell me that if you go into the house of the defending champions and lose to the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game, that that season is somehow a failure or a disappointment. So if we make it beyond here and then anything else happens, you want to tell me it's gravy or a bonus, I am totally on board. I still want a win. I still expect a win in this game. I think that they had a good enough season where they should win this game and I will be disappointed if they don't win. But I think that the fact that they checked all the other boxes, we did win the division, we did host a playoff game, we did win a playoff game, and more than anything else, we now obviously have sustainable opportunities for success with the extension of a head coach, the extension of a GM, and soon to be the extension of a franchise MVP caliber quarterback that is the most sustainable model for success in the NFL is to have, you know, consistency at the top. We now have it. There's it. It can be a disappointment without being devastating. 
So if we lose this game, I'm going to be disappointed. I think fans should be disappointed. I don't think anyone should be devastated because there's still a bright future ahead. Greg, I appreciate you being pragmatic because there's a small part of me, as I hear you saying this, that thinks where you're like, no one should feel devastated. I feel like I'm Michael Scott where he's like, okay, you tell me I'm fired. And they go, okay, Michael, you're fired. Ah, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> that, there's a small part of me that feels that way. But ultimately, I understand what you're saying, and I appreciate everything you've brought to our show tonight. Why don't you tell everybody what you guys have coming coming up over at Cover 1 in advance of this gigantic game? Yeah, uh, going to continue on. We you know, have a ton of different content coming at you. We'll have the, the Hoof Podcast on, on Tuesdays and Fridays. Uh, Aaron and I will have our preview show on Wednesday night, having Cole Jackson come over to preview from the Ravens side of things, talk through the options that we have there. Uh, we'll have the uh, Anthony Prohaska over there with Disguise Coverage, and then Aaron and I will be there for you immediately following the game late on Saturday night as we find out our fate of who we move on to face in the AFC championship game or whether our, our magical season came to its end, Aaron and I will be there to uh, enjoy or, or help you vent in that experience. So come and find me at Greg Thompson on Twitter or any of myself and my compadres over at Cover One. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I hope you guys are enjoying the shows this week, but I got to tell you guys about Blue Wire Hustle. It's a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast right here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. Also, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get in on all of this for only $15 a month. That's the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for an initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your applications in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. That's bwhustle.com slash join. Greg Thompson, a man with a oddly placed hair part, questionable... Meat takes, and I mean, well, he's getting a steak from you, but 
He's getting a steak hell of a guess. He's on Twitter at he, Greg Thompson. He's getting a steak dinner, and I, I'm not gonna lie to you. I, I I may have messaged him and told him, "I go listen. I'll be damned if there's no shellfish tower." Now that I'm the one who has to pay the bet, I I can't neg I can't renege on that, right? Yeah, we'll have to uh, we'll have to put a, a Twitter hit out if any of our uh, locals to Buffalo know of a great local restaurant that serves up an awesome steak. I need a surf and turf. Yeah. I need a little bit of surf and turf. I need. I think maybe you, not lobster, but what I need is I, I maybe need some oysters. I maybe need some clams. I think you would go with uh, what Ron Swanson calls a turf and turf. Oh, I would absolutely Saint Elmo's Saint Elmo's Steakhouse. <laughs> yeah, I would do the turf and turf. Yeah, that that sounds like something you you would do. All I know is that, guys, we're going to open it up to you, the listeners. Tell us where your favorite steakhouses here in Buffalo are, and we're going to go spend a whole shitload of money at one of them. (sighs) Chris, for you, this victory, what does it mean? What does it mean in terms of what this team is and what it could be? I mean, for at least for maybe us and then fan uh, the fan base that is younger than us, maybe down to like 20. Yeah. Like this is the kind of win where you just like reconnect with your parents. <laughs> like I wouldn't be surprised if like you reach out to your biological father. <laughs> Wait, who? I'm sorry, the invisible man. What? Wait, like, I'm sorry. Yeah, like the, I, I've i had so many conversations. Yeah, my biological yeah, father. I've had so many conversations with like my mom and my dad about the bills as of late. Because we haven't been good since the early '90s, so it's it's bringing back that you know what your dad had in his early 20s, going to games, and it, you know I just remember the parties on uh, in Boston up on Ursula in Highwood where I used to live, and now that we're back, kind of back to that, like my parents are now buying into this. Full throttle, I and, and I, I, I love it, and I want to beat the Ravens on Saturday. You want it to continue? Yeah. Well, I want to beat the Ravens for you. Almost said raisins. Yeah, raisins. <laughs> they're not the California raisins. They're the Ravens. Yeah, the Ravens. The California I, raisins. They do a coordinated dance. I want to beat the Ravens. I want to beat the Ravens just based on you and Bill Barnwell. <laughs> That's like my, yeah, AFC championship game is cool, but Drew just owning Bill Barnwell on Twitter might be even slightly sweeter. I'll say this. To your point, seeing my father this weekend and just getting to enjoy the aftermath of that win with him, and then looking at pictures that my mom, if you go to... If you go see our Twitter handle at Rockpile Report, she dredged up some old photos from the 91 when, uh, not, or no, shortly after the Bills won the 1991 AFC East title. And my dad brought home penance for both me and my brother. And we're children. And we're sitting with, and it's a photo of me, my father, my brother. My dad is rocking a Bills polo with the old helmet over the heart. His collar's almost sort of popped. He's wearing aviator sunglasses indoors. He has a mullet and a killer mustache. Like, I'm sorry. It's the most 90s photo ever. Yeah, that it does scream <laughs> a ni- early 90s look for an adult. That's when football was fun for him. And it's now fun again for the first time in 25 years. 
it's hard to put into words what this win means to me on a personal level. But as a fan of the Buffalo Bills and just someone who likes to see them succeed, it's not hard. It's proof that the term Billsy is dead, okay? And that this team has grown and matured beyond it. Ryan Lasel of Rock Sports Network, fan of the show, weekly listener. He's been a guest. We're going to have him on because he'll be attending this week's game. <laughs> he tweeted out, texting with at Rock Pile Report yesterday, that game had everything primed for a quote-unquote Billsy loss. Blown call against Buffalo, shaky defense and stunted offense down the stretch, and a bonehead play by the quarterback trying to make a play. And yet, it's a new day in Buffalo. This team is real. There are so many moments in this game that could have derailed it. The Moss injury, changing our play calling. The quick touchdown by Pascal in the fourth quarter, forcing the Bills to score to maintain a comfortable and ultimately necessary lead. The Allen fumble that never would have gone our way. And yet this year, we have a quality right tackle named Darrell Williams, who just... I'm the cheap. Like a savant, just found that football. Just found it and grabbed it. He gobbled it up. It was like the game Hungry Hungry Hippos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not, that's not a fat joke, but it kind of is because that dude just swallowed that thing up. The blown fumble call. Then in years past, we would be looking back angrily at going, ah, the refs, they fucked us again. That didn't happen. I've seen a lot of people say last year's team would have lost that game in the face of adversity. I'll take that a step farther. Not just last year's team would have lost it. That game would have crucified it would have only taken one or two of those things to ruin a game for this team over the course of the last, what, 15 years? Yeah. And yet here we are, headed to the divisional round after getting what amounts to a wake-up call, both as a fan base and a locker room, that this is what playoff football takes. It's a growing experience. All things are equal now. Previous records, accolades, game plans, you throw all of it out the window It's essentially a brand new season, and ultimately from one week to the next, up to and including the Super Bowl, you don't know what team your opponent's going to be from one week to the next, what game flow you're going to see from one week to the next. And anybody who thinks that I'm crazy, in 2017, the Buffalo Bills played a Jaguars team that barely eked out a 10-3 win at home against our Buffalo Bills. Steelers fans everywhere thought that that was hysterical. They thought it was hilarious until that Jaguars team marched into Pittsburgh and waxed them with 45 points and ended up winning by a field goal and punched their ticket to the AFC title game. Chris, every single week, you as a, as a team that's still alive at this point in football, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to learn and grow, change who you are, and go after it. We as a fan base are just now getting acclimated to this dynamic. We're just getting acclimated to the playoffs, but it's a season unto itself. And everyone just got a taste. Things that you thought your opponent couldn't do, like the Colts throwing the ball downfield. Maybe they can. Things that you thought they were going to excel at. Maybe they won't like Derrick Henry against the Ravens last week and his 2.2 yards per carry. 
almost all cases, anything is possible. Like what we saw on Sunday night in Pittsburgh. Chris, no one thought Cleveland had a shot in that game. No. And even when Cleveland started to be Cleveland and let Pittsburgh back, they still put their foot down and found a way to come out with the victory. (sighs) Previous Bills teams that I've watched, definitely since we started doing this podcast, but even before that, couldn't rise to the occasion. And this one was so much not working for it. So many things going wrong in that football game still managed to come out on top by just relying on the things that they know and believe in. A kicker, a quarterback, some wide receivers, a defense, some linebackers who are supremely talented even if an an opposing offensive coordinator finds ways to make them look dumb. This was a game of composure and willpower. After 25 years, this is what progress looks like, people. Embrace it. And the idea that every week is a new opportunity for this team to reinvent its approach, to execute, and ultimately keep marching towards hoisting one of those shiny Lombardies that's eluded us for the damn my entire life. Are there concerns? Sure. We have the Baltimore Ravens coming to town, and they present every mismatch known to man. But we today are playoff winners trending in the right direction. So I say we enjoy this, and we enjoy the direction of the team, and it's a rare group of talents, and be happy that we get a chance to reinvent ourselves this weekend against an opponent no one thinks we have a chance against. It's kind of like your dad with the uh, moonshine. You had a little bit of that, and it's like, ooh, now give me a pint glass of this. (laughs) Yeah, that's what this is like. That's it. We got a little taste of victory against the Colts. Now give me the draw. Give me all of it. Whether I can handle it or not, we're going to find out. I can't wait. Guys, we got to get out of here. Obviously, we usually do a preview and a recap, but this week was too big. It was just too big. We couldn't get away from it. So we've divided this up into two shows. This week, we're going to air the AFC Division Preview with Ken McCusick of Ravens Film Study. It's going to air tomorrow night. We're going to look at the mechanics of a surprising defensive performance from (laughs) the Ravens against Tennessee. We're going to discuss how the Bills match up against them, where the weaknesses is, weaknesses are in their defense that the Bills staff might match up best against. We're going to identify key matchups and deciding factors. Chris, I can't wait. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That was Greg Thompson. And this has been your Rock Pile Report. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.